Our reading today is from Mark's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 24 to 30. You'll find this on page 1010 in the Pew Bible. The passage is headed, The Faith of a Syrophoenician Woman. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Keep that open in front of you. If you have it, that would be a big help to me. Uh, this change in weather seems like a good moment to head for Egypt. So I would uh, value your prayers this week as I leave for the steaming heat, and I'll be working in the cathedral there for three weekends to give my successor there a chance for a break. Uh, Helen and I had one of those across-one-another conversations about it. So she said, um, is this you or is this us? And I said, no, definitely me this time. But I'd be glad of your prayers for these coming weeks, especially as it seems over the last few months I may have lost my immunity to strange things because we don't live there any longer. My mum says that the mark of a good restaurant is hot plates. Now, of course, um, it'll be a large white plate with relatively small portions beautifully arranged, balancing the textures and the colors, all designed to entice you to eat and to appreciate, and as they say, enjoy. The gospel writers are like chefs, longing to draw you in to experience what they have come to discover. They are persuaders, yes, journalists telling their story. They want us to trust and follow Jesus as they have come to do and as the people whose stories they tell have come to do. Last week, Libby showed us how Luke, the gospel writer who goes on to write Acts, demonstrated that the gospel brings freedom and freedom for everyone, for Paul and Silas in the jail 
and uh, waiting for their trial and for their terrified jailer when the earthquake came and it looked like all the prisoners would escape. But no, they stayed. That's the real miracle of that story. Later on, Paul and Silas actually delay their departure to tackle the authorities who had abused their citizenship and their rights, to establish their Roman citizen rights, to protect the freedom for God's people, the church, in the future. Fascinating extra piece. This week, Mark lays out before us the roots of this freedom as Jesus is tackled by this remarkable woman. And her surprising faith has two dimensions. First, simply this, she knows only Jesus can help, and she won't take no for an answer. Mark tells us that she's in real, real need. She's a parent alone. Maybe there are other children. Maybe this is her last one, this little daughter. Uh, Lots of us who are parents or grandparents come quickly to the end of our rope with little children, toddlers around that age. Uh, This little daughter is really in trouble not for disciplinary reasons, not because of selfishness, but because Mark tells us that she is overwhelmed by evil and possessed. And this woman is desperate, and she will stop at nothing to find Jesus and to get him involved. She breaks all the cultural rules in verse 24, we find that Jesus has gone to Tyre and perhaps that Sidon area. They're very close, the two towns together in southern Lebanon. And he's trying to keep a low profile. He's been busy. He's been debating. He's been involved. Mark has him running very quickly from the beginning of his gospel until this moment. This is a time out for him. He needs it. But she hears that he's there. And Mark tells us as soon as she heard, she sprang into action. Again, contrast here, what most people think about faith. Most people don't associate these days faith with action. They assume that somehow uh, it's, uh, it's either something you just have or, or you just don't. I, I'm not like you. I don't have your faith. I wish I had your faith they might say to us, or or that it's essentially something passive, something internal in our culture, not just personal but private, something just for you, and certainly nothing to do with this kind of activity, searching, finding, invading the space, breaking the rules to make sure she gets to him. As soon as she arrives, they know she's not from these parts. She's a Phoenician from further up the coast in Lebanon, as we'd call it now, what used to be Syria. Uh, She uh, has a Syrian background, 
uh, and that would have uh, led to some nervousness. The leading Syrian characters in the Old Testament, like Jezebel, were not exactly attractive characters, and you needed to be careful of them. Uh, the woman in 1 Kings 17 who lobbies Elijah and who receives back her son alive, oh, that would be more like it. But they have a mixed background. She's also got a Greek background, which means that she's well-educated. She's a citizen. She's a multicultural character coming in to this space. She searches, she arrives, she finds, she crashes in and won't go away. We're told she fell at Jesus' feet and she begged him to drive the demon out from her daughter. Mark, you see, lays this out and he presents this extraordinary woman as a model of true faith, of real faith. You see what she's done? You see what's happening? She's absolutely clear what need she is in. She is absolutely clear that Jesus can deal with this. She may be clear that only Jesus can deal with this. We don't know what else she tried. And she will not go until she gets his answer. This is real faith. You know how serious the situation is between yourself and God, between yourself and others, between yourself and the natural world, between yourself and the community. You know how serious our situation is. Can be. You may have tried all kinds of approaches, but now you know that only Jesus is qualified and able to deal with the situation. So you will stop at nothing to get to him. Even when it looks like, and this is a shock, he is making life more difficult for you when you come. You see, in this passage, as Mark and Matthew tell it, there's a problem. She does all that. She gets in touch with Jesus. She arrives. She won't go away. She won't give up. And it looks as if Jesus is downright rude to her. Wouldn't you love to have been in on that conversation? Wouldn't you love to have been in a corner sitting on the floor in that room, just to hear the tone of the conversation, to see the faces and see what was really going on there. In verse 27, Jesus emphasizes the first part. First, let the children eat all they want, he said. Then as a kind of throwaway line, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. These are family dogs, by the way, not the scavengers that I shall meet on the streets in Cairo when I get there on Thursday. These are the home household dogs, so not quite pets like ours. They might have been working dogs, but they were friendly characters, unlike some of the others. 
And Jesus is saying, the children first and then the others. I've heard people say that uh, in this exchange, Jesus is resisting her. Here's a man against a woman. Here's a Jew against an outsider. Here's a person in a position of power against someone who is utterly powerless in the face of the demon. Others say this is kind of the worst kind of nationalism. Think of Israel's present basic law and its impact on the Druze communities and the Palestinian communities. People who are not one of us are completely excluded from rights in their world. You're not one of us, they say, he says. So there's no rights for you. Jesus is a man of his time, and he's fallen into the traps of his time, and he's rejecting her. You may not be surprised to think that I don't think that's fair, and I don't think that's a good reading of what the conversation is about. I have a hunch there's real warmth in this conversation. If you like, a twinkle in Jesus' eye and a a quick and sharp response uh, as she engages with him. Jesus uh, is not a teaser here. (laughs) We wouldn't like to think of Jesus teasing us like some of the folks up the Royal Mile. Tease their crowds. I love watching at this time of year. Not only the acts, but how do these guys play the audience? How are they going to play me? They need to make a living out of this. They need to keep me there, and they need some cash. So they play me all along. It's wonderful to watch and amazing to experience. Jesus isn't teasing, especially not with her daughter's desperate situation. That would be tactless in the extreme. Maybe he's just checking Just checking her faith is not some kind of magic faith. If I get to the magic person, he'll he'll say something and fix it. No, if I come to this person, this is the right person. This is the only person who can change my daughter's situation, who can transform my family life, who can give me hope again when all seems to be lost. Jesus' point is simply this. While he's on earth... God's special people are his first focus, and others will come later. Come they will, as we saw in the jail in Philippi, and come they do as she gets involved in the conversation and eventually gets what she needs. She's not giving up. She needs the kingdom right now, right here. And Jesus leaves the door open in the conversation, and she pounces on him. By the way, in verse 29, the word that we have translated crumbs gives you the wrong impression. Uh, Literally, it's small pieces. If you know Middle East bread, you can get it around the mosque area up in Newington. Uh, You you don't crumble it. It doesn't crumble like our bread often does. Uh, You could try this with pita bread. When you break it up, there are small pieces left over. That's literally what the word means. But not crumbs on the floor where the dogs are snuffling. It's a slightly different flavor. These small pieces are for us. 
the outsiders, as well as the bread is for the insiders. And this feisty, persistent, sharp woman, she gets it straight away. And uh, this has been uh, quite a journey preparing this for you, because I've noticed a number of places in Scripture where people tackle God or Jesus and win. (laughs) Jesus tackled the religious people and won his arguments, but most of them didn't change. But here, she tackles him, and if you like, with one arm behind his back, he's pinned, (laughs) and he gives in. He accepts that she beats him. He is pleased, actually, to be taken at his word like this and engaged with. And he concedes her point. He hears, he understands, and before she knows it, he acts. Her irresistible confidence in Jesus means that by the end of the story in verse 30, she gets what she's desperate for, her daughter's release and recovery. It's a fabulous encounter. Let me go back to the restaurant to see how she, as an outsider, has a much firmer grasp on faith than the insiders around this story. If you have chance later, read chapters 7 and 8 of Mark's Gospel. See what Mark is doing in presenting this story to you. There's lots of food in chapter 7. We're in the sandwich between feeding the 5,000 and feeding the 4,000. And in the midst, there's lots of food encounters. The good news for everyone is the best news in this sandwich. This woman's story and then the story of the man who is deaf and whose friends exercise faith and bring him to Jesus that follows straight away is tucked in to a relentless tide of nitpicky religious stuff from the Pharisees. Dreadful stuff. There's a bitter argument about hand-washing before you eat. There's a nasty exchange about religious duty where you spend more time on the bread of communion, which in Egyptian language is called orban, the same word as used here, korban, what is supposed to be for the benefit of your family and those around, uh, you put in its place religious stuff. Don't do that. There's the confusion between externals and internals. What really makes you clean? What really transforms your life? These religious people around this story have completely lost the bigger picture. They are critical, they are driven, they are dismal, they reduce life. But in the middle is this fabulous woman. Now, as we prepare to share share bread and wine together, our focus is on Jesus. He has done for us what we could not do for ourselves, especially when we're in a desperate place. 
He invites us to receive the tokens of his ultimate sacrifice, the one that he made that no one else could make, which brings freedom to everyone who will trust him and take it. Yes, insiders for sure, but outsiders especially. He asks us to join the meal with him. The small pieces at first, and then the full meal that is coming. Will you join? Will you receive it? As you take that bread and sip that wine? Maybe today you are feeling uh, out of it. Maybe today you are feeling on the edge. Maybe today you are feeling overwhelmed. Maybe you've been in and around church a long time. Maybe this is one of many communions. Maybe this would be a moment to receive afresh what Christ is offering. Maybe this would be the moment for all of us to take our chance to express the real faith this lovely woman expressed. And maybe this would be the beginning of the time when we are surprised too at what Jesus will do. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this fabulous story. Thank you for this remarkable woman. Thank you for Mark as he plates this up and demonstrates it to us. Thank you above all for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that his freedom is for all of us. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.